Welcome to the Atlanta Startup Podcast. I'm Lisa Calhoun, Managing General Partner at Valor Ventures. And today we have a couple of power GPs joining us from Texas. It's the Artemis Fund. Stephanie and Diana, welcome to the program. Thank you, Lisa. We're super excited to be here. Yeah, thank you. It's a pleasure to have you. Well, the Artemis Fund. I mean, I remember when we met a year ago or so today. Beautiful evening in Austin. We're in the top floor of the Kaufman Fellows event. And I needed to hear the story of why Artemis. And I would love for you to share the fund's value proposition with our listeners. Yeah, it's funny, Lisa, how much has changed in the last year. <laughs> Miss those times when we got to mingle in person over a nice glass of wine on um, an Austin sunset, but hopefully soon again in Atlanta. The Artemis Fund, as you mentioned, based in Houston, Texas, uh, it's myself, Diana Markovskaya, and then Leslie Goldman. So we are a, a power GP team of, of three ladies who are passionate about finding the best female founders throughout the United States. Uh, we lead seed rounds in tech-enabled businesses. Um, we really set out to start the Artemis Fund because in all of our, our past experiences, Diana ran an accelerator in New York on Monarch. Leslie is a prolific angel in 40 deals, 12 funds. And I led one of the most active angel networks in the United States, the Houston Angel Network. We simply didn't see enough female investors in the VC world, and we didn't see the types of companies um, led by women, which we knew were solving huge market problems and um, both market problems and societal problems and making an impact. And, and we had that network and uh, we wanted to help them get funded and, and bring, their, bring their ideas and, and impact to the world. So when a founder reaches out to you, they're getting an entire network of primarily women investors behind them? Well, actually, it's about 50-50. We uh, have convinced uh, both men and women that this is a need, and, and they really believe it, and they've seen it. The proof is in the pudding. We've invested in six deals so far, two of which have had really significant markups. But, you know, it's both, and we have a really strong network of both FinTech advisors and LPs in, in our network that they get access to. Fantastic. And it's interesting to me, I, I share your experience that there are not a lot of women investors. And like you, having become one, that continues to surprise me more and more because I really feel that women are naturally strong investors for a lot of reasons, including relationship orientation, long-term thinkers, and are generally managing finances from a fairly young age now that families and households tend to be run by the woman as kind of family COO. Why do you think women aren't as involved in startup investing as that would appear to be? Yeah, I mean, you're completely right, Lisa. You know, as you mentioned, women control 89% of consumer spending, two-thirds of personal wealth, and are 90% more likely to go out of their way to buy from a business led by a woman. But uh, when Stephanie and I first met about five years ago, that was the first problem we identified was that we couldn't find women investors or female investors here in Houston and in Texas. And so we sought out to understand why and started doing events and dinners around my dining room table, inviting these women, asking them why they're not investing. And so many raised their hands saying they've always wanted to, but either couldn't find a place that they felt like they belonged um, or, you know, a cause that they believed in or just didn't know how their networks weren't doing it. And I think that's why, you know, the importance of funds that have a diverse lens uh, will lead to a lot more diverse investors getting activated. 
really interesting. You know, one of the things we share is that about half of Valor's investors are women too. And for a lot of the individuals, it's their first foreign startup investing. And they they write a significant check to do that. And it's interesting what you talked about with maybe it's the network, maybe it's the access or the entree, setting the table, literally. It's um, really exciting to hear that you're bringing more women into investing. Now, when you look for a startup, do you invest only in female-led companies? Yeah, so we only um, will we look for female founders or co-founders. So we will we will invest in a, in a co-ed team. But what's really important to us is that we're moving the needle on uh, on equity on the cap table. So the female founder must have a founder level equity. So we will see very often, you know, um, uh, a woman kind of thrown on as a marketing person. She doesn't have any equity, but called a co-founder. That doesn't fly with us. We are looking for businesses that are being you know driven by women. It's really important. And in terms of what they do, do you have a focus on what the business does? At Tech Enable Solution, definitely heard that. But are there particular verticals that you're really focused on? Yeah. You know, we come across from a more thematic perspective, um, but uh, we really like high growth, early stage tech companies that help people build wealth and take care of their families and communities in a more sustainable way. And some of the themes or verticals that kind of fall under that are, you know, fintech focused on wealth creation and wealth education, sustainable consumer goods with a tech component. We have a plant-based milk company uh, that comes in a proprietary format, just an example. And a lot of companies around the care economy and care tech uh, that help families stay in the workforce and build wealth in, in that way while still taking care of their families. So tough question. How do you feel about romantically involved founding teams? That's a good question, Lisa. You know, we haven't invested in a, uh, a husband and wife team. I think it takes definitely a unique relationship. Bringing on an investor and a co-founder is a lot like getting married. <laughs> uh, probably even more serious. But, you know, so far we haven't done it. I think it would be, it would depend. You know, how, you know, we want to look at their their track record in the same way we look at any, any founder's track record. Have they been there? Have they done that? Have they made it through ups and downs and still together and strong? You know, I think we're, we'd be, we, we would talk to any female founder, doesn't matter who they're married to. But, you know, I think we've, we'd take an extra, a second look, you know, make sure that, you know, this relationship will not in any way impact the business. I mean, sometimes you just need a break from your founder and co-founder. <laughs> if you can't get away, it could compound the stress. Companies where the significant other is working for the company, but in a, in a different capacity. So, you know, we're not exact, we're not opposed to it. Uh, and we, we've looked at plenty of related themes, whether it's mother, daughter, husband, wife. Well, that is unusual for a VC for sure. Um, and it's great to hear your position on that, that you're open to, of course you're going to diligence, but you're open to co-founders who are in a relationship. That distinguishes you from most seed investors right there. One thing I'd love to um, just make a point here though about is we do find really early that husband, maybe a wife may say, well, he owns half of uh, everything that I own anyway. It doesn't mean he owns half the business if he's not on the cap table. Uh, so don't make that decision too early in terms of equity split. I heard that. <laughs> so what advice would you give our women founder listeners on their husband in the cap table from your experience? Sorry, I didn't hear the last part of that question. What was it, Lisa? What advice would you give female founders out there regarding their marital partner and the cap table? First of all, any partner, or any, make sure that they vest. 
Uh, so if it doesn't work out, <laughs> they you can't walk away from day one with half the equity. That's probably the biggest thing that I would say is, you know, in any case, whether it's a, a family member or a spouse, make sure that you really understand the terms. And if it is equity, make sure that it vests and that you have the option to, you know, change things if, if things don't go as well as you think in the beginning. Got it. So tell me a little bit more about some of the themes that you're really excited about investing in in the year ahead. You know, we're coming off of the pandemic. The economy is starting to wake up again. And I'm sure you all are looking at this opportunity with a lot of semantic lenses. Could you share one or two that you're excited about? Yeah, happy to. You know, we've seen an incredible acceleration of certain trends, you know, in e-commerce um, and digitization of a lot of things. Uh, you know, one area that we're looking at is definitely in the mental health space uh, and how it relates to keeping employees happier, more engaged in a variety of different ways in both mental health and well-being. Um, and so we're looking at companies in everything from alcohol dependency to women's health um, and how they sell into some of these corporates and make it so that coming back to work um, is a more engaging and pleasant experience. Are you concerned at all about some of the stats that women have really dropped out of the workforce recently because of the pandemic? Yes, absolutely. And I'll let Stephanie take that. Yeah, I mean, look, um, they've dropped out of the workforce. They hit an all-time low in terms of uh, venture capital funding that they received. COVID really impacted women, especially, um, you know, underserved communities. And, and I think that's why it's really important that groups like ours exist to make sure that we don't lose those gains permanently in our, in our economic power and economic position. And yes, I mean, I think that um, I think there's a lot of work to be done. And, you know, we saw even with COVID how it, there's a disproportionate impacts on the haves and the have-nots. And, and so any kind of solutions that empowers women and to stay in the workforce, underserved communities to build wealth uh, and generational wealth is really important to us. And, you know, that helps bridge the equity gap. We're looking for those those types of solutions. And we, we you know, we just raised our first fund and we're excited um, to deploy that capital and those solutions that are going to change the way we, we build capital and really take care of our families for the future. Well, I know there's going to be a lot of founders in Atlanta that want to pitch you when they hear that. So let's talk a little bit about do's and don'ts with pitching the Artemis Fund. So based on experience, I know you guys are taking pitches every day. What are some of your absolutely do share we love to hear about? Make sure you hit on this. It's a great question. First, generalize it for, I think, founders looking for any kind of funding is to really understand who you're pitching and what they're looking for. And so for us, you know, we really look at early stage pre-seed and seed stage female founded companies in the verticals we talked about, which usually means that uh, if it is, you know, really later stage or doesn't fit team size, then it's not something that we're looking for. I find that a lot of times founders in general spin their wheels about who they're pitching and not are not always pitching the right types of investors for them. And, you know, we really look for highly scalable tech-enabled businesses. And while other types of businesses can be great and profitable, it might not be something that needs to be venture-backed. Yeah, what about the right. idea of a lead versus a non-lead investor? Could you share a little bit more about how Artemis looks at that? 
So at the Artemis Fund, we do lead, and you know, I know from running an angel group, and I think this has been an issue for female founders for quite a while, is you know, come back when you have a lead. No one's really willing to take the risk, right? Push it off until later. We're definitely um, one of the firms that you know, we're not trying to elbow into some of the most hottest, crazy valuation deals. We're really making the deal. We'll spend the time to nurture founders that we believe are promising that have, you know, a product built with market and rev- revenues and maybe have bootstrapped and don't exactly fit the, the, the seed categorization and take the time to get them ready to introduce to other co-investors like Valor. We recently just invest, co-invested in a deal, but we really like to lead and to build strong relationships with, with the founders of our companies. We really see ourselves as a, as a value-added venture firm. So we'll, you know, roll up our sleeves, helping you find co-investors, recruit talent, you know, get your get your governance house in order. But we, we prefer to lead. But don't, um, I would say, you know, back to Diana's point, whether you talk to a lead or, or, or a following fund first, it doesn't matter. Sometimes we're really excited when a founder comes to us and says, I'm really looking for a lead. I think you're the perfect fit. And I've got, you know, X and out soft circled already. That that shows us that they're tenacious and that they're, they're able to raise money on their own as well. Awesome. So what are some of the don'ts? I know that's a little bit prescriptive, but basically, what are some of the mistakes founders pitching you can tend to make? One, you've already covered, they don't do enough research. They don't know what you invested in from stage perspective, and that's a really big flaw. Are there any other things that you see a lot of that you wish you saw less of? Yeah, I mean, I think one other area, and I find we see this a lot more with female founded companies is underselling and under explaining the big opportunity that they have. They tend to come and say, here's, here are my projections. Here's what I, you know, here's what the business is going to do. And then when we push back and say, you know, this business could be bigger, why isn't it? We often hear back, well, those aren't my real projections. I just wanted to give you the conservative ones. And so, you know, I would tell founders not to not to diminish what they think the potential is because investors will already do that for them. Um, and it's, it just sets them up for a disservice for what could be. That's really great advice. Before we leave that point, anything else? I think what, you know, one of the things I don't also like to see is a rush or not willing to take the time. I'm not one of those investors who um, gets a lot of FOMO. So if you try to create a lot of FOMO with me, I'm just not going to take the time. Because like I mentioned, uh, Artemis Fund likes to lead. Uh, we want to really get to know the founder. Um, you know, we want to make sure, you know, that we want to get into this marriage with them for it could be 10 years. But, you know, be respectful to all the investors that you meet because you never know, you know, when they may come in the next round or when they could be helpful with their connections. I think just general, you know, you know, it, it has definitely flipped where, you know, for a long time it was a, a VC's market and sometimes it can be a, a founder's market in these hot deals. But just be respectful, I think, in, in everything you do, but mostly when you're talking to investors. You know, the other big thing is if you are part of a co-founded team, one of the big things you at the co-founder relationship you have, yeah, because such a big piece of starting and growing a company is the ability to galvanize people to work with you, invest in you, hire well. Uh, and so for us, a lot of times, if we do have calls, and sometimes it's more than one, or, or meetings with founders, and there's a tension between the co-founders, uh, that's probably a pretty big red flag for us if they're not respectful of each other. That's an excellent point. Well, listen, thank you for sharing those. I want to switch gears and talk a little bit about the Southeast region. This is the Atlanta Startup Podcast, and I know the Artemis Fund is a national investor. But do you have any themes around the Southeast or any perspectives on this region in particular? 
Yeah, so I think there's a lot of really great things. Um, I think with, for example, with Valor, you know, the, the really strong fintech community, um, consumer tech, the future of retail. So we're definitely looking, we've looked at a couple of fintech companies in Atlanta already and also looking at a couple of consumer tech companies as well. So we're really excited about, about that. Diana, do you have any other areas? I would say just more, again, more broadly, we're really excited about underrepresented areas um, around the country. And so, you know, we try to look for strong ecosystems like Atlanta has, like, uh, you know, Maryland, DC, Los Angeles, where, you know, female founders can thrive in Houston and, you know, are away from Silicon Valley. Uh, and we find that, you know, those companies have a lot of great infrastructure from the universities that exist to the corporates that they can tap into as customers um, and, you know, are maybe at, you know, better valuations and values to us. So if we look across your maybe pipeline today, what percentage of it is coming from the Southeast, broadly speaking? That's a great question. I would say quite a bit of our, if you count Texas in that, (laughs) quite a bit. And if you count D.C. down to um, Georgia, I would say quite a bit of our portfolio of our pipeline comes mm-hmm. from underrepresented communities. Um, so probably more than half, wouldn't you say, Diana? Yeah, definitely. If you count sort of, you know, Texas and the Southeast, it's, it's around half. Well, naturally, Texas is its own country. We will yeah. review that. You know, Texas is its own, you know, region. That's why I'm always wondering. Like, it's not, they never want to. Yeah, but I'm uh, from your neighbor state, uh, born and raised in Alabama, uh, Lisa. So I have a special place in my, my heart for the Southeast. And uh, when I moved to Texas, I said, you know, Texas is not the South, it's Texas. So I learned that too. <laughs> I know. I was I was raised in Georgia and went to a college in Texas. And I, I quickly learned that while it is the South, it has its own flavor, yeah. and it's, it's, I mean, it's really a wonderful place. Well, So you come from the same place as Tim Cook, the CEO of Apple. Very good to know, Stephanie. Yeah, yeah, good things come out of Alabama sometimes. <laughs> Indeed. So regarding the general situation around fundraising from the Southeast, it certainly is challenging. On the other hand, 40% of the U.S. population is in this region, you know, speaking of the broader region like we, we just were. So that's a, it's a large number of founders. But to your point about underrepresented, greatest density of underrepresented founders in the country. So I think that's why companies are, are moving to Austin, moving to Atlanta so rapidly now, partly because they're looking for that diversity in their workforce. It's just unattainable in some of the regions of the country. So listen, as we're closing, I always like to ask people, who has made a big impact on them? And I would love to hear from either of you of mentors or, or people who have influenced your career trajectories in a positive way. There are so few women investors, even though there are a couple hundred that we know. It's, it, it's very different. There are thousands of males. So how do you see your career having been impacted by different people? And are there a couple folks that you could share a story around? That's a good question, Lisa. Maybe I'll start. Um, it's someone that, um, you know, exactly on the vein that we were just talking about. Um, I had a mentor early in my career. I moved from Alabama to D.C. Um, an intern for Northrop Grumman, and this person took me under my wing. And she's actually from the great state of Georgia. Her name is uh, Sherry Powell, and she is the founder of a company or actually a group called the Rural Chamber of Commerce, which is trying to help entrepreneurs in rural communities um, access capital and, and the things that they need so that they can stay and, and help their communities thrive. And so there's just so many parallels in what I've seen in her path um, and, and, and what we're doing at Artemis, you know, trying to 
um, find the tech, find the resources that empower um, more communities, a broader community, um, democratize prosperity for, for more. Um, she's played a huge role in my life. You know, I was thinking about going to law school, uh, and she said, I don't think that's right for you. I, th I really think you should try business school, Stephanie. And uh, that brought me to Houston, <laughs> where I met Diana, and so I kind of owe her uh, owe her my whole path, I guess. Yeah. You know, I, I think for me, it's not any one person, but I'm really inspired by all of the venture funds that are being started by women, um, like yourself, Lisa, you know, with Valor and others. I mean, the majority of female-led venture funds, uh, I think it's something like 73 or 5% of them have started in the last five years. And I think it's because we see a system that is broken and an opportunity that is greater than others have realized. Uh, and so it's really inspiring to see, uh, you know, we often get asked our, if we're you know, in competition with other funds or if we have to, you know, I actually find it refreshing and encouraging to see more funds started because, you know, there's such a great opportunity uh, for everyone to, to you know, invest in some great companies. I do too. You know, one of the things I think is so funny is there can be this presumption in our culture that women are competitive. But guys, they aren't, and it's it's really something else. Because in seed investing, since the beginning of the industry, seed investors have worked together to build syndicates and build rounds. Same is true in angel investing. So it's always been true of the early stage that it's innately collaborative. Two women start a fund in the same country, and it's like, oh, you're competing with her? It's like, are you kidding me? We're doing deals together like we are with Artemis. So. It's, um, yeah. it's an interesting perception in our culture, for sure, around um, how competitive is seed stage, and more specifically, if there's more than one fund investing in women or people of color, does that does that destroy the market? Absolutely not. I mean, the market under forty is already inherently non-white majority, and last time I checked, women were fifty-one percent of the population. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I just Lisa, uh, we're making the market, right? Like, yeah, we're, exactly. that's what's happening. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for taking time out to share with us. If a founder wanted to get in touch with you, what is the best way for them to reach out to the Artemis Fund? The best way to reach out is just uh, to, to email us. We're, we're always open to um, founder outreaches. We want to talk to every female founder with a caveat, what, what you heard today, what we invest in. Uh, so you're, you're welcome to, to email us. And, uh, my email is stephanie at theartemisfund.com and I'll always talk to a female founder. Thank you so much. Appreciated your time today. Thank you for listening to the Atlanta Startup Podcast. You know, we're not just a podcast. We're a community and we'd love to see you at one of our digital or physical events. Go to valor.vc and sign up for an event that makes sense for you. We have events for founders and the investors who back them. Another event you might enjoy is Startup Runway. The Startup Runway Foundation is a Valor organization that provides $10,000 grants to founders who are women or people of color building next generation software products. Applications are free and we'd love to hear from you at Startup runway.org that's startuprunway.org and as always thank you so much to the organizations that make this podcast possible not only valor ventures but also right to market 
a tech marketing and PR agency in Atlanta, Georgia, and the Startup Runway Foundation, and Atlanta Tech Park, Valor's headquarters, and also headquarters for over 100 local entrepreneurs building global businesses. See you next week. Please bookmark the podcast and join us.